The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Mindy's going to come. Would you mind please turning to Exodus chapter 12 in a Bible or Bible app? There are Bibles in the back as well. Exodus chapter 12. We are going to look at the salvation event of the Old Testament, and we want to think theologically about this most important event and what it means for us. Mindy's going to pray for us and read our passage in Exodus chapter 12. Join me in prayer. Lord, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds today that we may receive the words that you are sending to us through your word, and may we be diligent to follow in what you want us to do. Amen. Exodus 12, 29 through 42. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mindy. Thanks so much. There is a lady who stands in New York Harbor 
She's holding a torch. And the following is inscribed on the pedestal on which she stands. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. She wears a crown of seven spikes representing the seven seas on seven continents so that no matter where you are, she is holding out to you the hope of freedom. Now, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, I think we can all relate to that desire to be free, to breathe free, including being free of certain things in our lives. It might be a pattern of sinful anger. It might be a form of lust, an ensnarement in pornography. It might be a form of materialism or greed. It could be, it could be a pattern of fear that grips us or some anxieties or we're gripped by certain worries and you long to breathe free of those things. Or it could be, for you, freedom from guilt, freedom from a condemnation you carry with you every day, or freedom from a sense of shame. We long to breathe free. This passage pictures for us theologically. It pictures for us theologically where to find that freedom, friends. Here we find, theologically, a pointer toward where you and I can find that freedom as we long to breathe free. And we see that freedom here in two ways. Think with me of freedom in two ways. First, a freedom from judgment. A freedom from judgment. To free his enslaved people in Egypt... God has initiated a series of plagues, but to no avail. So God announced a final plague. His judgment would fall on the firstborn of Egypt that his own firstborn, Israel, might be set free. But for the Israelites then, God says, take an unblemished lamb, a lamb without defect, sacrifice it, and put its blood on the doorposts and lintel of your home so that when he passes through Egypt and his judgment falls on the firstborn of the land, if he sees blood dripping down the doorpost of that unblemished unblemished lamb, then his judgment passes over you, the firstborn of that household. So imagine you are an Israelite firstborn that first Passover night. That lamb is representing you that night, does it not? That lamb is standing in your place with its blood dripping down the doorframe, and you're waiting and you're wondering that night, is that blood, is that lamb sufficient to protect me from this coming plague? Will that lamb truly take my place in God's judgment? Imagine that's you. That's all you can think about. You don't sleep that night if you are cognizant of what's going on. 
I imagine you don't take your eyes off that blood. All night waiting, all night wondering, until verse 29. At midnight, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. At midnight, the plague comes. At midnight, screaming and wailing are heard throughout Egypt as every Egyptian household without blood dripping down the doorway discovers it's dead. Verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Can you imagine the cry? Can you almost hear the cry? A great cry, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Friends, God is holy. His judgment is real, and it's deserved by us all. But you are a firstborn Israelite. At 1201, you're still alive. You're still alive because God's judgment, in effect, God's wrath has passed over you. All you did, all you could do was fully and solely rely on that lamb in your place. And now all you can do is say what? Saved by the precious blood of that lamb. Now feel the awe and wonder as over a thousand years later one John the Baptist sees Jesus of Nazareth and shouts out behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world John was thinking theologically about Exodus 12 and the sacrificial system, and we must do the same. Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman has compared reading the Bible to watching a movie in which the ending is so shocking, so startling, the ending is so surprising that you have to go back and re-watch the movie to reinterpret or rightly interpret the rest of the movie in light of the ending. I did this recently with a novel I was reading. I read the novel, A Gentleman in Moscow. I think some of you have read that. I got to the ending. I was like, wow, that is an interesting and cool ending. I had to go back and reread the entire book in light of that ending. Oh, look, the author is here foreshadowing that ending. Oh, look, the author is preparing for that ending. That's what John the Baptist is doing with the Passover lamb. In light of the shocking ending of the Bible, Jesus and his finished work, he reinterprets or rightly interprets the Passover lamb of Exodus 12. 
Behold, the sinless, sinless, unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sins of all who believe. If that's you, listen, the Lamb has freed you from God's judgment. God's judgment against your sin has passed over you because of the Lamb of God. If, if that's you, the Lamb has freed you from condemnation. You read in your Bible, there is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Here's why. Because condemnation was poured out already on the Lamb of God on the cross. Therefore, condemnation has, as it were, passed over you. The Lamb frees you from shame. You need not shame yourself as we often do. You need not receive the shame others might seek to put on you. Why? Your sin is atoned for. Your guilt has dealt with in full. God is not shaming you anymore because of the lamb who stood in your place. Friends, we must do, in light of Exodus 12, we must do what those firstborn Israelites did that first Passover night. Fully and solely rely on the lamb. Fully and solely rely on the Lamb of God and worship Him today, saying, saved by the precious blood of the Lamb alone. Fully and solely rely on the Lamb. Jesus once said to His disciples, I'll just try to make an application here. He once said to His disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees, in effect, adding to God's word. Sadducees, in effect, subtracting from God's word. So he's saying, beware of those who would add to or subtract from God's word. And Anglican J.C. Ryle comments saying, Christ foresaw that the two great plagues of his church upon the earth would always be the doctrine of the Pharisees and the doctrine of the Sadducees. He's saying the two great plagues on, on us that we're vulnerable to can be adding to or subtracting from the work of the Lamb. And we can add to the work of the Lamb when we rely on other things before God, our good deeds our consistency in our devotional lives, our success in weakening a pattern of sin, all great things. Or we rely on our recent obedience, our relative maturity, our upstanding moral lives. We don't do things others do. We do things they don't do. I, it was brought to my attention recently that there were some Christians who were calling those at the pride parade, they were calling them their enemies. Now, I understand saying that doesn't represent a biblical sexual ethic. I don't understand saying they're my enemies. I think that's the plague of the Pharisees. I don't understand that. I don't think that's relying fully and solely on the Lamb. 
such that judgment would pass over me. But we can also subtract from the work of the Lamb. We can subtract from his work. We can make Jesus primarily our teacher. And he is a great teacher. He taught the Sermon on the Mount and so many other things. Greatest sermon ever. Or we make Jesus primarily our moral example. And he is our moral example. Our example of servanthood. Our example of humility. Our example of what it means to love God and neighbor. But if we make Jesus primarily our teacher or primarily our example, then he's no longer primarily the lamb. And we have subtracted from his work. Oh, friends, I'm just simply saying, let us read Exodus 12 in light of the Bible's shocking conclusion like John the Baptist did. Let us be reminded today to fully and solely rely on the Lamb. Let us leave here today and live, oh, by grace every day, saying, saved, saved by the precious blood of the Lamb alone. The Passover should help us do that. And if you've yet to rely on Jesus like that, we're so, so glad you're here. Maybe, kids, you're hearing me this morning, and you're realizing you've not relied on Jesus like that. I want to urge you today to rely on the Lamb of God, to take away God's judgment that you and I deserve. Kids, teens, young people, oh, look to the Lamb and believe. That's one way we yearn to breathe free, is it not? Freedom from the judgment we have earned, freedom from condemnation, freedom from shame. There's another way here. Secondly, freedom from slavery. Freedom from judgment. And then that results in, of course, for the Israelites, freedom from slavery. Verse 31. Then he, Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! <laughs> Go out from among my people. I mean, the land has been devastated with nine plagues before this. It's a disaster zone before this. Now the firstborn of every Egyptian household without the blood is dead. Up! <laughs> Go out! Go out from my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And, and this is interesting. Bless me also. I don't know if that's some kind of superstition he had. He's certainly going to have a change of heart as we shall see. Go out, be free. So off they go, finally. They've been slaves there for about four centuries. Now they're beginning, friends, they're beginning their journey of freedom out of Egypt. God has kept his promise of freedom from slavery. This promise that he made to Moses decades earlier when God said in Exodus 3, I will stretch out my hand, I will strike Egypt, and then, and then Pharaoh will set you free. He'll let you go. But this promise goes back not just decades, but centuries. Over five centuries when God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, your descendants, Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, your descendants are going to be 
enslaved 400 years, then they'll come out, then they'll be freed. And God said, five centuries earlier, they'll leave with great possessions. Did you catch that when Mindy read that? That's what happened. They, they plundered the Egyptians, it says. The Egyptians must have said, take our stuff, take our gold, take anything you want, just go. It says, because God gave them favor. And so we read in verse 37, the beginning of the journey to freedom. It'll be quite a journey. It'll be quite a journey. I acknowledge we're going to track that journey. We're going to see some interesting things along the way. But read verse 37 with the idea of freedom in mind. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, a mixed multitude. It would seem, it would seem some Egyptians joined them. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. This was quite the scene. The animals, the people, they're heading out. Now, two, two debated issues to briefly touch on. One is the date of the Exodus. Some say around 1400 BC. Some say around 1200 BC. There's an article at the information table that says either date, legitimate arguments for both of them. So if you're interested in the date, you can read that article. The other issue that's debated is in verse 37, the 600,000 men besides women and children. That means maybe 2 million people journeying out of Egypt. As Phil Riken notes, they would have formed one of the largest populations anywhere in the world at that time. So questions are raised about this. It may be 600,000 men leaving because God did it. But the Hebrew word translated thousand may also mean clan or military unit. So this could be 600 clans or 600 platoons of men. Either way, it's not an issue of the trustworthiness of the Bible. It's just a debate over what the text is actually saying. Those are the debates, in case you're curious. The point is freedom from slavery. Don't miss the main point. Freedom from slavery. And again, we want to read this in light of, in light of the Bible's shocking, startling conclusion. We want to think theologically about this exodus. It'd be possible for me and you just to go away saying today, how interesting that historical fact happened. But this is here as the salvation event of the Old Testament for you to benefit from and learn from. The exodus here is a picture, a, a paradigm for the exodus believers in Jesus experience. Yes, historical event, yes, but also a picture, a paradigm for the freedom believers in Jesus enjoy. Let me, let me convince you of that. I know I'm approaching this passage a little bit differently than usual, but I, I want us to benefit theologically from what's happening historically. 
When, when Jesus teaches his squabbling disciples about servanthood, he said, quote, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a ransom for many. What's a ransom? It's a payment to set someone free, free from slavery. The Apostle Paul, when talking about a biblical sexual ethic, uses similar language in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's imagery from the slave market. You were redeemed out of slavery, at a price. The Apostle Peter, even more clearly in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, listen to this. He says, you were ransomed. Do you hear that? You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish. Does that sound familiar? You were ransomed. You were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. The very thing the Israelites were to sacrifice in Exodus 12, or very simply, Revelation chapter 1, to him who loves us and has freed us, freed us from our sins by his blood. I'm simply saying this Exodus and Exodus 12 points to our own Exodus. That historical Exodus points to your Exodus in Christ if you have believed on him because, because we are born slaves. We come into this world enslaved to sin, born dead in sin, born into a sinful condition. We are born hardwired for rebellion. Think about what that means. It means you and I need a freedom to come from outside of us. We don't have the power within ourselves to set ourselves free from our patterns of anger, our enslavement to lust or pornography, our greed, our materialism. We cannot set ourselves free from those things. We cannot set ourselves free from the worries or anxieties or fears that plague us, but the Lamb of God sets people free. The Lamb of God sets people free. He gave his life as a ransom. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Does that mean we are free to never sin anymore? Not at all in this life? Are we freed now for some angelic existence in this life? Not my experience. I don't know about you. No, of course not. We are not freed from sin's presence yet. But the exodus here points to our own exodus of being freed from sin's enslavement. 
We are ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. The power of sin for the Christian is broken. Listen, you are no longer its slave. This is happy news. John Bunyan, author of the famous work Pilgrim's Progress, captured this freedom in a little poem I may have shared and I can't remember. Okay. (laughs) Other people remember. But it's worth repeating, right? Okay, good. It goes like this. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. That's worth memorizing. The law of God with its commands or anything you can do, any self-help or self-rescue, it may help in ways, yes, but does not give you what you most need, freedom from outside of you. Far better news Jesus brings. He says, fly and gives you wings. He ransoms you from your slavery to sin. So the anger, the lust, the greed, the fear, the worry, they do not disappear instantly and probably not entirely in this life. But real change is possible. Genuine change can happen because you've been set free from that slavery. You've experienced your own exodus. Real change happens in our lives, friends, by believing good news. Real change happens by believing good news. You know, Juneteenth, the holiday, Juneteenth has grown in importance. It's a national holiday now. I'm glad for that. Juneteenth dates back to June 19, 1865, when Union soldiers landed in Galveston, Texas, with the news that the war had ended and the enslaved population there, the enslaved African-Americans, were now free, 1865. Well, President Lincoln, two and a half years earlier, in January 1863, had issued his Emancipation Proclamation. Two and a half years earlier, but the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 had no impact on those enslaved while the Civil War was raging on. But now, at the conclusion of the war, 1865, good news of freedom for those enslaved finally reaches Galveston. Good news for them to believe. Juneteenth reminds us of the fact that freedom just can't be announced in a faraway place. It must be heard and believed. That's how it is for you and me. You enjoy this freedom. You you experience the reality of this freedom. You you, you live in light of this freedom by believing that Exodus and Exodus 12, I have experienced through the blood of the Lamb of God. I I experienced this this week. An extended family member said something very rude to my wife 26 years ago. I know that's a long time ago. I heard that I might be seeing this person again soon. I haven't seen them in 26 years. They live in another country. 
And that just stirred up all my bitterness and anger toward this person for what they said to my wife. And I, I, wanted to, I wanted to be bitter. I wanted to be angry. I wanted to be, well, filled with rage in some ways toward this person. Look, it felt good. It felt good to be bitter. As Sung said to me, Tab, you're only hurting yourself. But I, I did not want to change. I did not want to seek to turn from bitterness. I wanted to indulge bitterness. I wanted the full effect of bitterness. And then I was preparing this sermon. And I was reminded that I've, I've been set free from that slavery. I don't have to keep indulging it. I've been ransomed. My own emancipation proclamation was declared from the cross. Jesus has bid me fly and, and given me wings. And it helped me repent. I was again believing good news, hearing his call to fly, believing he had given me wings to turn away from that bitterness once again. Friends, the same is true for you for that anger, that lust, that greed, those fears. Change comes believing good news, the good news of this freedom. I wanted to make application for parents as well just to encourage you because the same is true for our kids. They most need, they most need a rescue from outside of them. And you can't do that. Now, God uses means, and parents are a very important means. But you cannot free your child from God's judgment. You cannot free your child from sin's slavery. Your, your parenting technique, the degree to which you control your child's circumstances, your own educational choices and preferences— as important as each of those things may be, none of them can free your child. But hear this, the lamb can. So yes, parent faithfully, but parent with faith in the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and can bring that exodus to your child as well. There's a lady in New York Harbor on the pedestal on which she stands, reads, give me your tired. Maybe that's you today. You're poor. Your huddled masses yearning, friends, yearning to breathe free. All of us know that longing. In this passage, there is a pattern, a paradigm, a huge pointer forward to the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Freedom from God's judgment, freedom from slavery to sin. So read Exodus 12 in light of the Bible's startling conclusion, because that's how Jesus read it. That's how Jesus read this passage. He celebrated the Passover meal from this passage with his disciples prior to going to the cross, of course, as you know. On that night, when they, when they remembered the exodus of this passage, he took the bread of the Passover meal, 
and said, take, this is my body, the Lamb of God. And he took the cup of the Passover meal and he said, drink, this is my blood of the covenant. Jesus transformed the Passover meal by saying, I am that lamb that you see in Exodus 12 with its blood dripping down the doorpost. I am that lamb for you. Let's pray. And maybe you want to bring your own heart and struggles and fears. Maybe a pattern of sin that has been dominating your life. And bring that to the Lord for fresh hope and help. Or maybe, maybe for you it's relying on that lamb fully and solely for the first time. Let's together in our, just the silence of our hearts, bring that to the Lord. Cry out to him for help believing the emancipation proclamation of the cross of Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this picture, this historical event that is such a profound paradigm for the salvation offered to us. We thank you that judgment has passed over all who believe. Help us to live in the good of that today. We thank you that freedom from slavery to sin has been accomplished for all who believe. Help us to live in the good of that. Let us, let us leave today saying, saved by the precious blood of the Lamb alone. We worship you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.